listeners, you're tuned into KCSB FM 91.9 in Santa Barbara. I'm Jennifer Yoshikoshi with KCSB News. And I'm Asumi Shida with The Daily Nexus. Tonight, we bring you the first episode of our series, Unmasking Isla Vista, a COVID-19 Community Archive. Over the course of the COVID-19 pandemic, the UC Santa Barbara and Isla Vista communities have had to adjust almost all aspects of their lives to help mitigate the spread of the virus. In our first collaborative project, KCSB News and The Daily Nexus has worked together to document the ways in which our community has changed over the past 18 months. Each week, we will bring you a Daily Nexus article and KCSB podcast episode exploring the following topics. Human struggle. University and students testing and vaccine, local businesses and essential workers, community reflection, and community activism. Each component will be accompanied by a KCSB newsletter, which UCSB students and community subscribers will find in their inboxes on Monday mornings at 10 a.m. If you are a listener who isn't yet subscribed to our mailing list, head to kcsb.org and enter your email address at the bottom of the homepage. You can also find full-length articles and archived episodes of this series by visiting thedailynexus.com or kcsb.org. Tonight's episode kicks off part one of our series, Human Struggle. When reporting on this topic, we decided to focus on the two major lenses, mental health and houselessness. So in terms of mental health, I think we can all attest to the feelings of isolation brought on by the pandemic. When COVID first hit, I was still in high school. I was getting ready for high school prom, ditch day, graduation, all those exciting events that we all look forward to. But in the end, my graduation ended up being a drive-through quick stop on campus. I hung out with my friends during the summer through Zoom, and I had to spend my first year at UCSB through remote learning, which was definitely not what I was expecting. I definitely hear you, Asumi. I also miss seeing all of my friends from back home and all the friends that I made from UCSB during my first year. And learning online was also kind of hard for me, too. I definitely wish classes were in person. Yeah, and especially in our normally tight-knit community of Isla Vista, physical distancing took a large toll on community members' mental health. Early on in the pandemic, local stakeholders evaluated how to support students during this isolating time. We spoke with 3rd District Supervisor Joan Hartman, who expressed concerns about students' lack of access to social activities and support. The concern is how people's expectations were so dashed. Uh, Many did come to UCSB, came to Isla Vista, but were cut off from a lot of the social activities and support and everything you come to college to experience. And it's easy for people to get isolated when you have to quarantine or basically keep your social circle so limited. It was very much a concern of the university and of our office and of the CSD, the local government as well. We were also joined by district representative and scheduler in Joan Hartman's office, Gina Fisher, who touched on violations of public health guidelines, namely large gatherings during fall quarter of 2020. There were some gatherings in IV for sure that were against the health officer orders. Once a peer-to-peer network started taking ownership and reporting, you know, UCSB, Foot Patrol, they would go visit houses in, in IV that were reported as having, it was mostly related to gatherings against health officer orders. Back in fall 2020, KCSB News and the Daily Nexus reported on these large gatherings, which drew a great deal of attention from concerned community members and peers alike. 
Although the risk of contracting COVID was high, some residents of Isla Vista continued to party and hold large gatherings, which increased the number of COVID cases in the community. On August 20th, Isla Vista had its first and only reported death from COVID-19. An individual between 50 and 69 years old who was living in a congregate care facility and had underlying health conditions. And still, just little over a week later, over 300 unmasked individuals gathered on Del Playa, Sabado Tarde, and Trigo to attend large gatherings, crowding in the streets as if there was no pandemic. With increasing pressure from concerned residents and student groups, the Santa Barbara County Board of Supervisors eventually passed an ordinance on October 2nd which allowed peace officers and public health officials to enforce public health orders with fines. Nine Greek life institutions received warnings over the course of the academic year after being reported for violating public health guidelines, namely hosting or participating in large gatherings. And in total, the university reported delivering 191 letters to residences for alleged violations, making individual contacts with 126 individuals and issuing warnings against 17 registered campus organizations. But through it all, all the vast majority of Isla Vista residents play by the rules, holding their peers accountable and prioritizing safety. I believe that many of the young people in Isla Vista turned out to be amazingly resilient. And one of the things that surprised me was how eager they were were to follow through with the public health guidance and how they wanted to assist in educating their peers. Um, so instead of resisting, rebelling, complaining, whining, that there wasn't that at all. It was, how can we help? How can we keep our community safe? And I think channeling their anxiety, all of us have been very anxious. Nobody even in my generation, has lived through a pandemic, a worldwide pandemic. So this has been very stressful worldwide and, and certainly countywide. And um, so we had to muddle through it together. Still, the stress of a worldwide pandemic really had an effect on our community, causing anxiety among students to skyrocket. Fisher said that concerns about isolation coupled with factors like job and food insecurity and access to health care were voiced from Hartman's constituents. The, the tone and tenor of constituent calls to our office of emails really was different during the pandemic. And there really was an, an anxiety and urgency at, at people being really scared. And I think it is a reflection of the isolation that so many people were feeling, and not just isolation, but job insecurity, health insurance insecurity. So there were all these social insecurities that made people very anxious. And we definitely felt that and experienced that throughout the pandemic. But Harvard also acknowledged that through the stress of it all, the pandemic seemed to dramatically strengthen the bonds among Ivy residents in a pretty astonishing way. And it meant people had to step up. And in Isla Vista, they stepped up. They stepped up to get tested. They stepped up when it had to quarantine. It, 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 so I've been really quite overwhelmed with that. And I do believe that when we can channel our energy and our anxiety in a constructive way, that that's a, a really healthy way to deal with what otherwise could spiral into depression and mental health issues. Hartman discussed a county program created in Isla Vista called Co-Response, 
in which a trained psychologist assists a law enforcement officer to de-escalate a given situation. The program allowed the psychologist to stay with the individual for several hours to ensure that they feel safe and secure. They are trained, as are all officers now, but to de-escalate. And they, in particular, unlike other law enforcement teams, can stay there for two hours, three hours, six hours, whatever it takes. And instead of that person being hauled into jail, they, they sometimes they can just take their medicine or sometimes they have to go to a hospital. But that program is enormously successful and we now have some academic studies that will be presented to the board sometime in September showing that. To discuss mental health needs on the university side, we spoke to psychologist and assistant clinical director, Dr. Janet Osimo, to discuss what UCSB's Counseling and Psychological Services Office observed in terms of COVID's mental health effects on students. I'm Dr. Janet Osimo. I'm a psychologist at CAPS and also the assistant clinical director. So I've been on campus uh, for about nine years. Dr. Othamo paid special attention to the digital divide she observed among students who sought out supportive services. Well, you know, it really depends on the situation that students found themselves in. Some folks had, uh, I think of it as, you know, uh, vessels on a sea. Some people had pretty seaworthy vessels, so they had technology, they had privacy. Uh, they didn't necessarily, when they went home, they didn't necessarily have to get a job and support the family, whereas other students did. So they might have had to go home, take care of siblings, take care of loved ones who were ill. Some students lost family members to COVID and other, you know, health illnesses. So there was really a great disparity just in their foundational resources. And then on top of that, just some students handled it differently. Some folks really thrived in the Zoom environment. They liked not having the social pressure, the academic pressure of being around their peers and comparing notes. They liked the quiet, the ability to structure their own day. And if this classes were asynchronous, they could do that. Other students really struggled. They had a difficult time bringing structure to to their own day. Um, They had a hard time with focus and attention, um, motivation dipped for them. And then also if uh, students were just feeling like many of us, more isolated and lonely, and it was harder to connect. I really saw a big difference with students who um, were never on campus, like transfer students and such, who didn't have that experience, weren't able to make those connections, feeling like they were losing out on time. Mm -hmm. So there's that situation as well. Dr. Osmo reflected similar sentiments as those in Joan Hartman's office, saying that the most common issues students seemed to face during COVID-19 were anxiety and isolation. According to Dr. Osmo, students with pre-existing mental health issues saw their symptoms worsen during the pandemic as well. So if they had pre-existing you know, depression or anxiety or eating disorders, alcohol use, what have you, uh, many of those things became magnified. And so uh, we saw a lot of those students reaching out who had been doing okay and then felt like the pandemic kind of pushed them over a bit. And on top of these mental health challenges, particularly vulnerable communities like Isla Vista's houseless population were at an even higher risk of physical and emotional harm. Coming up after the break, we'll be discussing houselessness in Isla Vista. Remember, you're listening to KCSB FM 91.9 in Santa Barbara. Stay tuned. What's up, listeners? I'm Ashley Rush with KCSB News. And I'm Sindhu Anandavil with The Daily Nexus. 
And we're coming to you from the future. <laughs> Actually, we're just your podcast host for next week's Unmasking Isla Vista episode, which we're calling Part 2, University and Students. UC Santa Barbara, like all other universities, has had to adapt to a lot of change this past year. And so have students, balancing online learning, complicated living situations, and mental health concerns on top of general pandemic anxiety. In next week's episode, we'll take you through the university's response to four major topics. Academic dishonesty. International students. Mental health. And housing. Episode 2 features exclusive interviews with external vice president for statewide affairs Esmeralda Quintero Cubian, communication professor Walid Afifi, student advocate generals Gio Lucero, and plenty more, all here on KCSBFM 91.9 in Santa Barbara. Remember, for full-length episodes and accompanying Daily Nexus articles, head to dailynexus.com slash unmasking dash isla dash vista. Again, that's dailynexus.com slash unmasking dash isla dash vista. See you back here next week for Unmasking Isla Vista Episode 2, University and Students. Enjoy the rest of this week's episode and happy listening. Bye! Coupled with worsening mental health challenges, Isla Vista's houseless community experienced a sharp increase in population during the pandemic. When we had the start of the pandemic and the shutdown, especially right in mid-March, the campus Isla Vista pretty much cleared out. We all of a sudden saw just a proliferation of, of folks and encampments going up everywhere for a number of reasons. A lot of traditional shelters had to thin out in capacity because of you know social distancing in the pandemic. With social distancing protocols and decreasing capacity in houseless shelters, many residents who would otherwise have housing were forced out onto the streets. So a lot of people who otherwise would be tethered to different shelters or systems or service providers fanned out areas. And then the second thing was that the CDC gave guidance that said during the pandemic, allow homeless, houseless people to just have encampments. And, and stay there. We want people to stay in place. Mm-hmm. And so local governments, at least here in Southern California and California, sort of adhered to that. Mm-hmm. And so encampments started to really kind of build up. With CDC guidance that allowed individuals to stay at their encampments, the number of houseless campsites increased during the pandemic, especially in Isla Vista. But the growth of these encampments became a health and safety danger, not only to the houseless residents themselves, but also to surrounding community members. We couldn't just let them stay and grow. They were too much of a danger to themselves. And one of the big dangers is fire. People are using fire to cook and to stay warm. And and they have many things that are flammable. And what we didn't want to see was an encampment that... The fire department firefighters can't even get into those encampments. And so they were really dangerous to the residents. And so the marshal came out, inspected, and issued a citation to the Rec and Park District saying this has to be cleared out. Mm -hmm. So then we had to think, well, what can we do? And so the community said, well, what if we had a managed encampment? And initially we were thinking something like a fire camp. When the firefighters go to fight fires, they they create a, a managed camp where the firefighters live. That was not acceptable in the, for funding and reasons 
housing first means you have to have a door you can lock. So we were able to identify the pallets as um, an option. We worked very fast and furious to get that up in time for the holidays in December. That's when Joan Hartman's office decided to work with the Isla Vista Recreation and Parks District, or IBRPD for short, to set up the pallet homes, which were installed in the parking lot of the Isla Vista Community Center. The homes were provided and managed by Good Samaritan Shelter in Isla Vista. The homes were 8 by 8 units with heaters and power, along with on-site restrooms, showers, and public health services. They were designed to function for a six-month period with the ultimate goal of getting residents into more long-term housing. During the course of the program, 41 houseless individuals were served, with 27 people acquiring permanent or temporary housing from the pallet program, according to the county's homeless assistant program manager, Kimberly Albers. One was reunited with family elsewhere. Two went to residential treatment and two women were put into safe houses Mm. from trafficking. They were um, victims of human trafficking. A hundred percent of the residents of the 41 successfully got their documents ready and got medical assessments. 100% of them were connected to mainstream benefits, you know, CalFresh, Medi-Cal, different benefits of which they'd be eligible. Mm-hmm. Three got jobs, um, 10 received outpatient treatment services, three veterans were connected to veteran services they previously were not. Five were able to get delayed medical surgeries that their doctors previously would not perform because they had no place to recover. So mm-hmm. once they were there, and then two received dentures, and then 12 got uh, mainstream vouchers, which are basically when you're not elderly, but you have a disability and you need, if it's a certain type of housing in which uh, voucher you're eligible. But just because efforts like the pilot homes were put in place, the houseless community's presence in Isla Vista was a long-standing point of controversy, often leaving them subject to hostile treatment. It seemed that Isla Vista, once a safe and comfortable space for houseless residents, was becoming increasingly more difficult for them to peacefully reside in. We spoke with Gina Sawaya, a volunteer with local meal-sharing group Food Not Bombs, about different views that Isla Vista residents, landlords, and business owners had about the houseless. You know, there's a really stark divide in the community, and I feel like that's only grown during the pandemic. Like, there's I think the majority of people are generally empathetic to houseless folks and want to help them. I truly believe that, like, especially in Isla Vista, I think a lot of people have empathy for a lot of causes and want to get involved and want to help people. Like, I get that sense from the student body. And it seems like to me that when, for example, Food Not Bombs puts an action out there or says, like, we need help in this way to help the houseless community, People that I don't know or that aren't associated with Food Not Bombs go out of their way to like show their support, whether it's like giving us money, donating to houseless folks causes, or showing up for public comments at local meetings or showing up to our events, like people who I've never met before. So I do feel like there is a general consensus of like, oh, this is something we should care about. That being said, there's a loud minority of, I would say business and landowner class folks who are very vocally opposed to houseless folks. And they like to hide behind the idea that before the pandemic, before there were all these like new houseless folks in Isla Vista, that they were okay with it. But it's under the perception of like, because they didn't see it. Like as long as you were packing up your stuff in the morning, hiding away during the day, that those folks were okay. It's the people that you have to see and be confronted with all the time that 
makes the community worse somehow. Like seeing the houseless folks, seeing the encampments is somehow devaluing the community. At least that seems to be their argument. And those people have gotten very loud during the pandemic because the encampments are more present. And this is not just unique to Isla Vista. If you look at like local news in Goleta, in Santa Barbara, in literally any city in the county, probably any city in the country, like this is coming up because there's a lot more folks who are becoming unsheltered, losing their jobs, facing poverty and other economic hardships. Early in June, IVRPD evicted houseless residents living in People's Park. Many Isla Vista residents opposed IVRPD's decision and joined Food Not Bomb's effort to support the houseless through participating in protests and rallies. Isla Vista has become a home for many houseless residents during the pandemic, but some of them have called Isla Vista their home for many years. On June 1st, people gathered in People's Park to rally against the eviction as many houseless residents were getting ready to pack their belongings. On the day of the protest, we spoke with some of the residents of People's Park to hear about how they felt about this stressful situation. Some of us don't want a house. I love being outside. And when I get older, I might change my mind. But until then, leave me alone. I ain't causing no problems. I pick up my trash. You know, I pick up my, I pick up my spot. I, I recycle. And then I got cops trying to throw me in jail for being free. Since June 1st, local groups like Food Not Bombs have committed to advocating for the houseless community, striving to speak with them rather than for them. Getting involved in Food Not Bombs is a really great like gateway into being more involved in like houseless advocacy because we're serving food for free on a regular basis and communicating with houseless folks on a regular basis. But there's lots of other mutual aid efforts and like organizations here and in Santa Barbara to get involved with that are doing that kind of work. Good Samaritan Shelter, the group that operated the pallet homes, recently approved a 50-bed shelter for houseless individuals in Isla Vista. Residents admitted to the new shelter, which is dorm-style with 20 rooms and 60-bed areas, are anticipated to stay for about 150 days before they are able to transition into permanent housing. The project will prioritize houseless residents in the immediate area of Isla Vista, with a focus on helping residents stabilize their life goals and secure access to reliable housing. We spoke with Nick Barrett, a recent UCSB graduate and employee at Good Samaritan Shelter, for his experience working with houselessness in Isla Vista. When you're homeless, you know, so much of your time and so much of your energy is spent just keeping track of your possessions making sure nothing gets stolen, figuring out where you're going to get your next meal, where you're going to get a shower, basically um, just surviving. The second you get someone into a temporary program like that and give them that stability, you know, they know where their next meal is coming from, they have a place to stay, um, you see people rebounding in such incredible ways. Nick said that while it's true that Isla Vista had its fair share of hostility toward the houseless, he's also witnessed a great deal of community support over the past year. There were definitely people who came by and were opposed to the pallet homes, people who maybe didn't understand what their purpose was, didn't recognize that it was temporary housing. Um, So we faced a little bit of opposition um, in our work at Good Sam, but by and large, I was um, honestly very impressed and very proud of the community for its support of what we were doing. A lot of the time when I was working shifts, we would have people come off the street and thank us for our work. Ivy Bagel Cafe was absolutely awesome. They uh, donated any leftover bagels they had to the shelter, which was absolutely incredible. And we got a lot of donations from other businesses around the community. So there was really a lot of support for what we were doing. Above all else, Nick emphasized that working for Good Samaritan has highlighted the heartbreaking truth that houseless individuals are unfairly dehumanized in our local and national communities, when in reality, 
their position often comes down to a lack of resources, both in and out of a worldwide pandemic. I think one of the most profound realizations I had uh, that I wasn't really acutely aware of before is that the homeless community are just people, you know, people like us. I think one of the the most heartbreaking things I heard among uh, people in that community is that sometimes uh, there's a tendency for them to be looked down upon or people won't make eye contact with them on the street or won't treat them like human beings. And it was, you know, my profound realization that that can be an absolutely crushing experience and that people on the street are just like anyone else. They're just people who don't have access to the same support and the same resources that, you know, the, the rest of us might be privileged to have. And I would say it really enabled me to really like not take for granted all of the things that I've been given um, and to see things in a very different light. And just to recognize that a lot of the time people are down on their luck, not because of their own fault in so many cases and in so many ways, but simply because they don't have access to the same resources. Well, Asumi, I think we'll wrap it up with that note. But I just wanted to say that it's been a pleasure working with you on today's episode. Oh, you too, Jen. There's been so much collaboration and dedicated reporting going into this project, and it's really exciting to see it all come together. I know, right? And speaking of collaboration, we'd like to thank our featured guests on today's episode, Joan Hartman, Gina Fisher, Janet Osimo, Gina Sawaya, and Nick Barrett. All right, listeners, if you are interested in future episodes of Unmasking Isla Vista, a COVID-19 community archive, head to dailynexus.com slash unmasking dash Isla dash Vista. That's dailynexus.com slash unmasking dash Isla dash Vista. There you will find full length articles and archived episodes throughout the course of this series. And one more time for good measure. That's dailynexus.com slash unmasking dash Isla dash Vista. <laughs> And to receive our weekly newsletter on each topic as they're published, head to kcsb.org, scroll down to the bottom of the page, and add your email address to our subscribers list. And we would like to give a special thanks to our dedicated reporters this week, Athmika Ayer, Jennifer Yosukoshi, and Asumi Shuda. Oh, thanks, Jen. <laughs> and thanks again to everyone for supporting KCSB and the Daily Nexus on our first collaborative project. Months of reporting and coordination have gone into this project, and we truly couldn't have done it without you, our dedicated listeners and readers supporting us through the process. Remember, you've been listening to Unmasking Isla Vista, a COVID-19 community archive on KCSB-FM 91.9 in Santa Barbara. I'm Jennifer Yoshikoshi with KCSB News. And I'm Asumi Shida with The Daily Nexus. And the biggest thanks to the rest of our team, our Daily Nexus journalists, Sindhu Anandavale, Africa Iyer, Holly Rush, Catherine Swartz, KCSB journalist Alexandra Goldberg, Daniel Wasias, Pia Ramos, Ashley Rush, Yulena Teagle, Daily Nexus videographers Evan Kakation, Juliana Zapatel, Daily Nexus artists and graphic creators Hannah Apple, Luca Dispro, Daniela Gomez, Alex Rudel, and Kelly Yan. KCSB artists. Madeline Pang Miller and Shirley Wayne. And finally, our Daily Nexus photographers, Pia Ramos, Taiyin Yao. Our theme music is Foundations of Burgundy by Jawser. Again, biggest thanks to you for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for an episode dedicated to university and students. 
featuring interviews from UCSB communication professor Waleed Afifi, Associate Director for Residential and Community Living, Billy Jankowski, and so many others. All here on KCSB FM 91.9 in Santa Barbara. Bye!